Previously on the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. These previously on things are getting quite long. How about we just mention the edited highlights? Okay, hit me with what was good in, say, June 2014. Easy, harp and Benghazi. Then what? Precisely. Okay, your turn, 2015. It's a toss-up between Alex Jones being worried about the gays or Agenda 21. Well, from a certain point of view, it's both. 2016. Our 100th episode. 2017, go. Our John Birch Society episode, if only because we called it, none dare call it, the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy. Ah, classics. Probably another episode ripe to redo, actually. Add it to the list. Now, 2018. The assassination of Arkady Babchenko. Well, the assassination that wasn't. You know someone who knows him, right? I sure do. Now, that was a confusing day. She was sad at lunch and then happy at dinner time. Turns out faking your own death does that to people. Hmm. And finally, 2019. Uncle Sam's Snuff Factory. We still get at least one email a month about that. We do, but that was then. This is now. For. This. Is. June. Conspira. News. Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, brought to you today by Josh Addison and Dr. M. Denton. Hello and welcome to the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. I am Josh Addison, sitting in Auckland, New Zealand. Opposite me, on my computer screen at least, uh, is Dr. M. Rx Dentith, sitting in Hamilton, also New Zealand. I think we prefer the name Kirikiriroa these days. Well, yes, that's... That's that's an evolving situation. It is indeed. So, Joshua, how are things up in the lovely Isthmus? The Isthmus of Tamaki Makoro. That's the one. Um, good. Little wet, but not wet enough. Did you see they're talking about bringing in uh, COVID-style emergency levels for Auckland's water shortage? No, I'm or doing my part by not living there. Yes. No, very, very good of you, actually. Yeah. No, it's that it's that time of year, I guess it's that season again, when we sit in Auckland looking out our windows at the rain pouring down while simultaneously going on the internet and finding we're in the middle of a giant drought and we're about to run out of water. Yes, I like um, how when you had your last major downpour, it only added 2% to the reservoirs, hmm. and the reservoirs are less than 50% at this particular point in time, which means that if this continues... By summertime, you're all going to become emaciated corpses. Yeah, uh, but that's our problem. We're not here to talk about not here to talk about Auckland's problems. We're here to Unless talk about the world's it problems. It becomes a conspiracy theory. Mm, Who's drinking yet. that water, Joshua? Is it Peter Thiel? Could be. He's got to wash down the blood of of, of the children that he drains. Allegedly. Allegedly. Allegedly, yes, allegedly. The blood of youngsters, but anyway. I mean, he he is a vulture capitalist. It's just not entirely clear he's a literal he's vampire, a vampire capitalist. capitalist yes. So, uh, no, it, it's the end of the month. It is the last week of the month, which means it's time for a news roundup. So we've got a few things that our patrons will have heard already in the bonus episodes, then a few things that are brand spanking new. Including a lot of discussion about police officers being poisoned in the US. Hmm. 
so I don't think we have anything to go on the top, other than to say hello, Discord. Uh, apparently, oh, yes, apparently yes, we say, we're broadcasting. We are live into... broadcasting. So one of mm. the benefits of being a patron to the podcast, as guys of the conspiracy, is we are now going to be live broadcasting both the main episodes and the patron bonus episodes, typically on Thursday nights at around about 7.45pm New Zealand Standard Time. That won't be true for next week because we're recording slightly earlier next week because I've got a birthday celebration coming up and there's going to be hijinks and malarkey and all sorts of stuff going on around about that time for two weeks. So next week we'll be broadcasting on Tuesday. But as a patron, you have the ability to listen to us broadcasting live and you get the benefit, the thrill and the excitement of listening to all the fluff that happens between segments. And believe you me, you might think that we're banal in the main episode, but between segments, we are positively boring. Ah, oh, so, so boring. Uh, plus, you get to see all the times we cock it up and, and um, edit stuff out. You but, do realize this is unedited. This is going to make the next drunken episode of the podcast either hilarious or interminable for yeah. anyone who's listening to it. Because when those drunken episodes occur, there's a lot of editing that has to go oh, on. So much editing. In part because if there's any scripted content, I can be guaranteed to not understand a single word of it. Mm. But anyway, now uh, what it is, is news time. So shall we jump straight ahead into the news? Indeed, with our specially prepared news sting, which of course in live broadcast you won't hear at all because no. we'll simply leave a pause and then move on. Mm. Although that, that will also change eventually. Hmm. Spoilers. Breaking, breaking conspiracy theories in the news. Uh, shall we start with the end of the world then? Yes, Seems so apparently this week the world is going to end because you might be under the misapprehension that we are living in the year 2020. Actually, it turns out, at least according to one scientist, we are living in the year 2012. Now, if you were around in 2012, and I don't think we've got anyone listening to this podcast who's under the age of eight, you will have been doubtless aware that in 2012 the world was ending due to a prophecy by the Maya. Well, it's 2012 again, and the world is ending this week, mm. allegedly. So... Yes, so, so it's not that the Mayan Doomsday Prophecy was wrong, it's that we were wrong in what year we thought it was. So how, where, where did this, this magical eight years difference come from? Who worked it out and why? So the scientist's name is Paolo Taglagon. They put forward a proposal on Twitter claiming that if you do the calculations about when we shifted from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar 268 years ago, and you factor in that we've lost 11 days per year since we made that shift, then 11 days times 268 becomes 2,948 days. Divide that by 365 days, the standard length of a calendar year under the Gregorian calendar, then it turns out that actually it's been eight years, and thus this week and this week alone is when the 2012 prophecy comes into effect and the world is about to end. Hmm. So, 
a couple of notes there, a couple of things to say. Uh, so, so first of all, that whole being out by 11 days, I understand that only happened once and not every year since for the last 268 years. Yes, so basically we did lose 11 days when, I say we, the Christian the world that mm. was using this particular calendar. So anyone who was using the Julian calendar, who then shifted into the Gregorian calendar, lost a set of days. Because the reason why there was a shift between the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar was to get around the fact that there had been too many leap years for quite some time, and thus the year was out of whack and the vernal equinoxes were not occurring at the right time. So the correction of going into the Gregorian calendar meant you had to lose a chunk of time, which for certain parts of the West was 11 days. Now there are two things to note about this. One, as you point out, this only happened once. We only lost 11 days at the point you made the transition from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar. Also, this transition occurred at different times in different countries around the world, which does mean you have this rather odd phenomena in the West of people who are born or died around Christmas or New Year's at particular points in time either were born or died in different calendar years, depending on whether the country they died in had moved calendar, and also depending on where the death was reported. But the key point is, it only happened once, it has not been happening for the last, say, 268 years. Mm. And I suppose it's worth pointing out as well that the whole Mayan prophecy... I, I, I remember seeing you fresh-faced and youthful on local television talking about this thing back in 2012. That's true, this did happen. Mm. And, uh, and the fact that the whole, the whole point of it was there, there was no prophecy from the Mayans saying the world was going to end at this time. It's just they had um, their particular calendar system went in cycles, including one sort of cycles within cycles. And the very longest cycle had such a long sort of refresh that it was going to take until 2012 before they got to the end of one cycle and started another one. So it wasn't the world was ending. It was just this one particular cycle of the, it'd be like saying the world is going to end on December the 31st because that's when our calendar ends. Or literally the transition from one month to another. Mm, yes, exactly. So it was all just a little bit silly, and this is an extra little bit of silliness on top of the silliness. Indeed Too much silliness, if you ask it me. It is. Now, talking about silliness, let's talk about Donald Trump. Let's talk about Donald Trump. Um, and let's talk about Donald Trump talking about Roswell. Uh, so he, uh, the other day, I didn't watch it, but uh, I, I'm aware that it happened um, for the for Father's Day. In the, when's Father's Day here? I should know. It benefits me directly. I think September. Um, but it was it was Father's Day in the US and I think UK recently. And um, so uh, there was a little television special where, where our old Donnie Trump sat down with Donnie Trump Jr., for a bit, bit, bit of a Father's Day chit-chat. And I understand, I haven't watched it, but I understand there was a lot of sort of questions along the lines of, so, Dad, you're so great, why do you think that is? And so on and so forth. But apparently, uh, there was one little exchange where Don Jr. at one point asked, before you leave off us, before you leave office, not leave off us, but... Although, a bit of that also, as well. yeah. I would like that quite, quite, quite a lot. Before you leave office, will you let us know if there's aliens? Because this is what the only thing I really want to know. I want to know what's going on. Would you ever open up Roswell and let us know what's going on there? And Don Senior replied, So many people ask me that question. 
There are millions and millions of people. They want to go there. They want to see it. I won't talk to you about what I know about it, but it's very interesting. But Roswell is a very interesting place with a lot of people that like to know what's going on. Hmm. And and wouldn't really go into it any further. Apparently, Don Jr. said, "Go on, go on, go on," and all he would say is, "I'll have to think about that one." So, um, I mean, it, it needs to be pointed out that Donald Trump says a lot of things. Also, um, Donald Trump is alleged to also make a lot of jokes. Although, when pushed upon it, Donald Trump denies making the jokes that the spokespeople for the White House claim he made in the first place. See, for example, the so-called joke about doing less testing, which mm. apparently was meant to troll the media, but when the media actually asked the president, were you joking about that? He said, I don't joke about these things, which of course might be part of the joke, part of the but I actually don't think Donald Trump has a sense of humour. No. No, so there we go. Trump suggested that he knows interesting things about Roswell without actually dishing any dirt, which of course is enough to get the, the Roswell UFO people interested, I suppose. But I mean, he's not the first, is he? There have been other presidents who've who've wanted didn't the Clinton? Clintons famously mm. love their UFOs. But yeah. Bill Clinton wanted to investigate whether there were secret files on UFOs. Hillary has made noises about being interested in opening up about UFO disclosure. It does turn out that if you start doing a kind of taxonomy of who believes which conspiracy theories in the US, Democrats are much more likely to believe that there's a conspiracy to hide extraterrestrial contacts than the Republicans are. Mm. So maybe when Trump's about to leave office, he'll disclose what he knows. I guess Which I'm assuming sure. is nothing. Mm. But, but the only way to be sure, I, I guess, would be to get him out of office as soon as possible. Indeed. To, to so find Americans, out about Roswell. That's Americans the reason why. get onto that immediately. Mm. Now, it does occur to me that... There's a, we, we actually have a Trump-related sting, and we didn't use it to introduce this bit of Trump news. So we're going to actually put that sting in here before we move on to the next bit of Trump news as a kind of Stalinist revision of history, because Ooh. we weren't talking about Trump before this point in time. We'll be talking about Trump after this. And I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. Josh, you're a a keen observer of the political, I believe that Donald Trump held a rally in Tulsa just a few days ago. I he believe did. it went swimmingly. It went. It came and it went. You can't, you can't say that didn't happen. It's a thing that occurred in, in, our, in our timeline. Now, I was told that Trump's manager, Brad Pascali, said there'd be over a million people, there are at least a million people, had registered to attend the rally. Mm. And yet, uh, there was between six and 12,000 people in the, in the, in the um, stadium. Numbers are a little what? unsure, but there was, there was a lot of it empty. Um, they had set up a stage outside so that Trump could address all the people who wouldn't be able to show up but wouldn't be able to get in. Uh, that was not used, and those speeches were quietly cancelled. Um, and so then there's been a bit of, right, so what's going on there? You've been hyping this up, saying hundreds of thousands, if not more than a million people are going to show, and then you get a, a few, only a few thousand. Um, and that's when, that's when the kids showed up. The kids started making well, noises. Oh, sorry, the kids didn't show up. That's the entire point. Well, it's, yeah, the kids showed up on the internet. 
to say why they didn't show up in real life. And supposedly, yes, it's it's the youth, the youth with their TikToks and their Korean popular music um, had apparently been out en masse buying lots and lots or expressing interest in lots and lots of tickets and inflating the numbers and then, of course, never intending to show up. Now, of course, it should be said they didn't prevent anyone from going who actually wanted to go in there. They just made it look like there was going to be lots more. So what um, what what excuse did they give for the fact that very few people showed up then? I think you'll find it was Antifa who were blocking people from being able to enter the venue. That is the claim the White House has made. Antifa are the reason why Trump's campaign rallies are not being successful, which I have to say... History is not going to look kindly at a president who said that people who were protesting fascism stopped him from holding what appeared to be fascist rallies. But that's another matter entirely. So yes, the White House has claimed that the reason why people couldn't get into the venue was that they were being blocked by protesters. The problem is we have footage of the outside of the venue in Tulsa, which shows a remarkable lack of people blocking people from being able to enter. So this is actually raising some really interesting questions about Trump's popularity. They advertised a major rally, and not many people turned up. Now, there are reasons as to why people may not have turned up. One, COVID-19 is still a big issue, and it turns out the kind of people who are Trump supporters are also the kind of people who might be worried about getting COVID-19 and dying. Secondly, given that there were so many registrations, even if most of them were insincere, some people may have seen the, oh, there's a million people going, I don't need to go. But it's still surprising that a major rally had basically only a third to two-thirds of the stadium filled. And this is a problem for Brad Pascali, the campaign manager for Trump, because he basically overpromised and radically underdelivered, and this mm. is a double whammy for Pascali because this is a known thing that people register for tickets they're not going to use, and Pascali has said publicly in the past that the Trump campaign has a system to identify such false registrations and get rid of them, and it turns out they don't. No. Now, it should be said, uh, I, I think it was Pascali was tweeting that, that these Antifa people were blocking folks from getting into the stadium uh, and did put up a photo showing, indeed, a bunch of Black Lives Matter protesters blocking one of the gates into the stadium. Uh, what people then pointed out was that that, that is, they did happen, but they were cleared away after about 10 or 15 minutes, so didn't actually have any effect on the number of people who could, who could get in there. Um, another thing that people have pointed out is that the whole the whole sort of registration thing was uh, s sort of expressing interest in the um, in the rally was almost a secondary purpose of it. The, the, largely, when you have large scale sort of registration stuff like that, what you're doing is harvesting contact details so that you can then send campaign information on. And people have sort of pointed out this that all of this. All of this, this what should have been a massive trove of information for his campaign, has basically been rendered completely useless. So it's um, a, a double blow for the Trump campaign. Indeed. Now moving away. From oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, one, one, yeah. one last thing. So 
it's 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 TikTok teens and K-pop stands. Now, I'm I I I'm I'm an old person. Uh, I I'm not down with the kids in any way. So that the modern use of the term stan, it's been around a while, and it's, it's been a long while of me not knowing what the hell they were talking about. But my understanding of it is it related to the Eminem song Stan. I believe it is, yes. Which seems because odd. the song Stan first of all, is about a rabid fan. An obsessive fan, yes. So first of all, it seems odd that these these youngsters who are, what are they now, Generation Z, or I, I, I don't even know, I'm completely I believe they out of don't touch. like to be called Zoomers. No. Whatever they are, it seems odd that they would adopt into their vernacular a reference to a song from the 1990s. Um, and also it seems odd that they would make it a good thing to compare yourself to uh, an insane fan who ends up murdering his wife in the end of the song, as, as I recall. I mean, yes, when you put it that way, it does seem rather weird. And it's also quite possible that we've got entirely the wrong end of the stick. Because as you point out, you are incredibly old and I'm just merely detached from popular culture. Mm. Well, I don't know. It's a mystery for another time. Uh, let's go to a mystery for our times, which is the mystery of the fireworks in New York. A Lord Morrissey, Morrissey and Pluddle story, if ever I heard one. Mm. So you may well have seen this being discussed on Twitter and Facebook. Indeed, it was brought up in the Discord chat as a thing that should be mentioned in our news episode. And we were ahead of you because we sometimes are. Sometimes. Fireworks have been going off in New York particularly in predominantly African-American neighborhoods, since about the beginning of June, with alarming regularity starting basically about 8 p.m. and then finishing at 2 a.m. in the morning. So from the 1st of June until the 21st of June, basically the first three weeks of the month, there were 11,275 calls made to the city of New York to report illegal fireworks. And in the same time frame last year, there were only 28 calls. So there's a massive increase in firework activity going on in New York at the moment, to the point where the mayor of the city of New York has announced a task force to look into why this is going on. But there's also a conspiracy theory which explains why it might be happening, isn't there, Josh? Yeah, so there's a, a, I've seen a couple. Um, so some people think maybe it's part of a, a sort of a, a government psyops thing targeting these minority communities. Um, it's all, it's all, it's being done deliberately to keep people up all night, every night, uh, to 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 basically mess with their heads. Um, so it's. Uh, Partly, partly, sort of psychological warfare against these communities. Uh, another, another variant of it is that it's also um, meant to desensitize, desensitize people to loud noises, so that if crackdowns begin in earnest, when the police actually show up and start firing their tear gas and their pepper bullets or whatever they are these days, uh, people people will pay less attention to them. Um, now. Some people have said in response to this, 
Well, no, it's it's just it's just people letting off steam. The the world is 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 in a, a frightful state. Um, people, there's all these restrictions due to COVID. Um, it's just people. They've got fireworks. They just uh, you know, what 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 want to literally lighten things up a bit, and that's all that's going on. Um, but then in response to that, people have said, well, I mean, it's 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 strangely regular. The whole 8 p.m. to 2, 2 a.m. thing seems um, seems kind of constant. Um, also, the fireworks apparently are not just the sort you could get at a at a department store or wherever you buy fireworks in the States. Um, they're, they're sort of Macy's Parade type ones. Uh, the reply to that has been, well, because of COVID, there's no, no sort of outdoor gatherings and so on where fireworks might be used. So possibly there are people sitting around with big stocks of professional grade fireworks that they've got nothing to do with. So maybe these have been sold off um, licitly or illicitly to the community. So maybe there's that. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of sort of claim and counterclaim. The other the other variation that I've also heard is maybe it's the police uh, letting them off on purpose to give them an excuse to then go into these neighbourhoods with the riot gear. Um, it's it's you know sort of a a, a, fal a false flag basically. It all comes down to false flags. Yes. So this is actually quite an interesting story because it's it's not out of the question that certain authorities, especially given what's happening in the US in particular, but also worldwide with respect to the Black Lives Matter movement, it's not out of the question that certain authorities might be wanting to cause a bit of trouble for particular communities. And thus, it isn't out of the question that this is in fact part of a malign conspiracy by actors operating either at the behest of the state or with state-related powers. At the same time, you also have the issue that because of what's going on, particularly in the states, something which might have a really prosaic explanation, people are really bored after shelter-in-place ordinances have been going on for weeks, if not months, are letting off steam by setting off fireworks, is being interpreted as a malign conspiracy. So this is the story that if it develops, we will definitely be coming back to. Hmm. But in the meantime, sticking on the subject, um, after after the various protests and so on against the police lately and, the, and the, the, the calls to defund them and so on and so forth, which has been happening a little bit in some places already, um, there have been a couple of instances of police officers in the States claiming that they had been unfairly victimised in certain ways by people simply because they were police officers and these the, the, these people had an axe to grind with them. Um, so shall we start with the poison milkshakes? The allegedly poison, the allegedly milkshakes. poison Actually, no, milkshakes. We don't even say they're allegedly poison milkshakes. There was no poison in the milkshakes. But the story was not presented that way initially, the was purportedly it? poisoned milkshakes. So basically, three off-duty cops at the NYPD claimed that they were poisoned by milkshakes they'd purchased from Shake Shack. Now, they ordered the drinks online, and they ordered the drinks online in two separate online orders, which they then picked up from two different counters when they entered the Shake Shack with the drinks already having been prepared and put on the counters for them to pick up. Which means the drinks couldn't have been poisoned when the officers entered the building, but they also couldn't have been poisoned beforehand because the nature of the online order 
meant that no one knew the role or duty of the people who ordered them in the first place. So then the question is, why did the officers think they had been poisoned? Well, they thought they'd been poisoned because the drinks tasted suspect. Now, Joshua, why did these drinks taste suspect? Uh, well, the, the um, explanation for that that's been offered is that um, the, the, the milkshake machine uh, had just been cleaned and possibly there were some trace elements of the chemicals used to in, in the cleaning process, which I've... I've I've had uh, I don't know about milkshake I've had um, hot chocolates and the like from coffee sorts of machines that ended up tasting quite off uh, and that uh, mostly usually that's because they haven't been cleaned more than that they have been cleaned but um, I could I could believe that you can end up with some variance in the tastes there just because of um, just because of uh, trace elements of stuff. And now I see as you're right, we're writing this, you're correcting the typo that you made in two places in this thing where instead of saying officers, you see you had an extra I in there. So it was officiers, which quite frankly, I preferred. And I'm a little bit upset that you've gone and um, gone and corrected it. That's better. Yeah. So the these officiers uh, were given refunds. They were they were given vouchers and said sorry about the um, sorry about your milkshakes that sounded a little bit blah, uh, but apparently when they went back and told their sergeant, hey hey sarge, we had these milkshakes and they tasted weird, so they gave us refunds. Um, the sergeant said, oh maybe they were trying to poison you because everyone hates cops these days, and it seems the story just kind of snuggled. Indeed, so it does seem that the officers did think that something suspicious was going on. They went to Shake Shack and said, actually, these drinks taste off. The people at Shake Shack went, oh, we're so sorry about that. Have a refund and a coupon so that you too can have another replacement drink when it doesn't taste off. They went back to their department. They mentioned it to a sergeant. The sergeant immediately demanded an investigation. And then the lieutenant or lieutenant, I can never remember how the Americans pronounce these, in pronounce these things. They then went, oh, no, 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 there's something really malign going on here. Obviously, these people have been poisoned because they're police officers. And it turns out that when they actually did the investigation and looked at the surveillance footage in the Shake Shack, it turned out that A, nothing had been introduced into the drinks that wasn't in anyone else's drinks, and B, the machine had recently been cleaned. Mm. Um, so yes, apparently the police union also got on top of this, and it was um, reported in the papers, but the union, the union eventually walked back and basically blamed the lieutenant for running his mouth to the press, when in fact uh, there was nothing going on at all. That's not the only claim. Um, actually, one we didn't write down, you saw the, was it the hash brown... The woman oh, uh, yes, officer yeah. who went to um, McDonald's and complained it took really, really long to serve her, and then someone just came out with a coffee and no hash brown, and she was so upset you drove off. To which people responded with, you know anything about how they do stuff in McDonald's. Like, all the food is made in batches. They don't make your order for you individually, so there's no way it could have been, again... Um, targeted. Uh, but anyway, that, that's but, but the other one we have is... Um, so apparently an off-duty LAPD officer now into Los Angeles um, claimed that they, they found a tampon 
in a blended coffee drink that they'd bought from Starbucks. Now, is there any more any more legs to this story? No. I mean, oh. it is quite interesting. So all we've got as evidence of there being an alleged tampon in a drink purchased from Starbucks is a photo of the drink outside with the officer basically pulling something out of the drink with a green straw. There's no evidence of it being in the drink when they left Starbucks. In fact, there's no evidence of the drink having been recently purchased from a Starbucks at all. This actually led Vice to engage in an investigation to see whether they could replicate the look of this particular photo by taking 10 different brands of tampon, putting it into a blended coffee drink recently purchased from Starbucks, and then pulling it out again after a few minutes. And they were not able to replicate the look of this object in any way, shape, or form. Now, the LAPD are engaging in an investigation to find out exactly what happened to their officer, but the vice investigation, whilst not stating it explicitly, does rather suggest that this story might be someone trying to get in on the their poisoning police officers thing based upon making something up. Mm. Still, that's that's quality journalism, I think. I should possibly say it's Vice, the online publication, I assume, not like the Vice Squad. Of, I mean, um, it would be great if it was the Vice Squad, mm. but no, it is Vice, the online publication, yep. which doesn't have the best reputation at the moment with the way they're treating their staff, truth be told. Well, yes, but anyway, uh, now, here's now, one... Right. Now, so the, the, before oh, we do this, this one... More. I just want to point out that last time we did the story, we hit upon the notion of doing the that's bad, that's good. I think we should actually try and do that from the off this time around. Okay. Who Who's going to be, do the talking? You're, who's going to do the that's good? You'll do the good. talking. I'll do the, oh, that's bad. Oh, no, that's good. Okay. So you may have heard that... Um, <clears throat> During the Black Lives Matter protests of a couple of weeks ago, somebody posted a photograph of a police officer in Las Vegas um, who had quite visible SS tattoos on his arm. That sounds pretty bad. Hmm. Uh, it then turned out the guy wasn't a cop after all. Oh, well, that's much better. Hmm. Turns out he is a former Marine. Okay, that's pretty bad. Mm. Um, he was uh, wearing plain clothes and a tactical vest with all sorts of all sorts of gear and AR-15 rifles and so on and so forth, um, and was standing with the police officers. I can't actually put a positive spin. Yeah, on let's that. say I I can't really say that's good. You need to find no. a positive spin to make an I'm... SS Marine seem less bad. Okay, how about this? Um, he turned out to be the husband of a Las Vegas police officer who was constantly getting in the way and trying to in, insert no, himself no, into sorry, the operation. No, that's, no? Also, that's also not good. That's still that, bad. Actually, that's worse. Um, there must be... Uh, uh, he's been charged with impersonating a federal officer once they got onto him. Mm, I mean, this he's charged of being an federal officer who happens to, there's a federal branch of being a clown once again that's not good that's bad 
uh, how about the fact that we only, he only got rumbled in the first place is because uh, somebody happened to notice the tattoo, and if, if if he hadn't had the silly tattoo and somebody put it on Twitter, he would have got away with it completely? No, once again, not good, still bad. Right. So I'm, I'm thinking this that's good, that's bad thing has turned out to be a that's bad, that's good, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad, that's, that's bad. Worse, oh, God, that's, that's worse. So oh, my God, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Okay, so that sounds disturbing. So a former Marine pretending to be a cop is attending protests whilst having an SS tattoo. Yes. America is a very normal place at the moment. It is. Yes. No, so, I mean, it should be said he'd, he'd was supposedly, like, he positioned himself with the with the police. He had claimed to some to be a federal officer, apparently said to some he was with the CIA, some with the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, an assistant sheriff said that this man said, I'm with the State Department. They deployed us out here. Um, but, yes, it turns out he's just a guy who likes playing cops and um, has apparently gotten a bit of trouble in the past, or at least his his wife's supervisor um, has complained about the fact that this dude keeps showing up with guns any time they have uh, any sort of training exercise. Oh. And that's completely beside the fact that, of course, when people when it when it first came out, he tried to say that, oh no, the he, he it's, it's it's not a it's not an SS SS. It just happens as the letters SS that that were related to some person he knew whose initials were SS or something that he happened to have tattooed on his body in the exact font and layout and design of the actual SS. Sign. Which means that for the third time, I'm going to do the Simpsons joke, the Bart, the. Yep, that's basically what he was trying to claim. Anyway, so that, that turned out to be just a little bit depressing. Uh, what's something more upbeat? Uh, Nothing. Let's talk about hydroxychloroquine instead. Indeed. So people may be aware that there's been a little bit of a fuss at the moment about hydroxychloroquine in the media, because it turns out that the initial studies indicating that hydroxychloroquine didn't work came from an organization called Surgisphere. And Surgisphere basically seemed to have made a whole bunch of data up saying hydroxychloroquine was bad, which then made people go, so we're relying on studies by people who are making up data saying the drug is bad. Maybe we should go back and revisit those studies, and maybe we need to actually revisit whether hydroxychloroquine is bad at all. So Surgisphere is an organization which has largely been responsible for textbook manufacture in the past but in recent years has started doing hospital databases. And they were the first people to come up with a study which looked at various studies on hydroxychloroquine that were being looked at and said, look, the data indicate it's not just not working for COVID-19, it's actually increasing patient mortality rates or morbidity rates, I suddenly have gone, I can't quite remember the distinction there, which is really awkward, because I actually do know how this works. I did teach philosophy of science in med school for a while, but it's completely escaped my memory. It doesn't matter. It does not. And part of the problem was, when people started looking at the data, they realized that there were things that Surgisphere was saying which couldn't be true. So, for example, Surgisphere had said studies in Australia had shown there were 73 deaths as of the 21st of April due to use of hydroxychloroquine as a remedy for COVID-19. Except that that 
wasn't true. The death rate in Australia didn't hit 73 until, say, several weeks later. Surges Fair was including hospitals in their data sets that they did not have access to. And more importantly, many hospitals who were in their data set were saying, no, we've actually forbidden them to have any data from our hospitals at all. So that was all a wee bit weird. And that led people to start investigating exactly what's going on at Surges Fair. And they discovered that for an organization which is writing a lot of studies, or meta-studies as to how drugs work, they only actually had 11 employees, most of whom only joined two months ago, and most of which had no scientific background whatsoever, but did have a background in strategy, copywriting, leadership, and acquisitions. Now, two of the employees did have interesting qualifications. One was a science fiction author, and the other a fantasy artist. Now, that doesn't preclude them from being well-read in the sciences, but does seem like interesting qualifications to have when you're hiring people to work at a medical database specialist firm. One of the marketing executives was an adult model and events hostess, once again, that doesn't preclude them from having the right kind of qualifications, but at the same time is a curious thing to have for one of the 11 people working for your organization. And then, of course, the thing which you always find when you're dealing with strange organizations of this particular type, they claim that they were mostly using machines to do the actual work, i.e. they were using machine learning. Mm. And... Um... Yes, whether or not that was even true in the first place, there have been a lot of um, organizations that we've seen recently who claim to be using clever artificial intelligence algorithms to do their stuff, and actually what they're using is a sweatshop somewhere overseas. Um, echoes of the, the David Farrier investigation into that medical AI that was supposedly being developed in New Zealand that, while he never got 100% to the bottom of it, its, its functioning was indistinguishable from sending an email to a person and getting an email back from that person. Yes, it did seem ever so slightly suspicious. Now, of course, this then led to many organizations going, oh, we've kind of stopped doing our testing of hydrotrox... I, now I can't... I, I said it three times perfectly, and now I can't say it at all. We stopped doing our test of this particular drug, and now we might need to resume that. Actually, we have an update from this, given that we talked about this three episodes ago. It turns out the WHO has announced it is abandoning use of tests of hydroxychloroquine because actually it's not shown to show any benefit to COVID-19 treatment at all, given new trials that have been done this month. The US Food and Drug Administration in the US has said similar. So it turns out the Surgisphere data was bad, but now we have good data to confirm the conclusion that we had in the first place based upon the bad data. Mm. And now let's um let's finish this this episode on a on a conclusive note because there has been a, a fairly significant conclusion, I guess, um, to the case of uh, Swedish Prime Minister Ulf Palmer. 
Now, we talked about him in episode 220, just over a year ago. Um, if you recall, he was the Swedish prime minister who was uh, killed, shot in the street uh, back in the 1980s, which was, you know, this th was a sitting prime minister. Um, it was a massive deal. Uh, in Sweden, they actually extended statutes of limitation so they could continue investigating it right up until the present day. Um, but as of a couple of weeks ago, their chief prosecutor, uh, Krista Peterson, um, has closed the case. Uh, he's named a man called Stig Engström as being the person who they think is the most likely culprit, but as he died in 2000, um, they'll never know for sure. He's a man, if, if, if you remember back to our episode, he was a person of interest way back when, and in that he... Um, claimed to have been on the scene straight away and was able to say a lot of details about it, and yet no one else really remembered seeing him there. Um, and so the, the story he gave sounded like the story that you would have got from someone who actually committed the crime and then ran away quickly rather than someone who ran into the scene um, straight afterwards. But um, he, he, sort of, he changed his tune at various times over his life and um, committed suicide, I believe, in the year 2000. Um, so we'll never know. Um, but his, uh, uh, Ulf Palmer's family have basically accepted this finding. They've sort of you know, acknowledged yep, if this guy was our best bet, but I guess we'll never know. I don't know if there's much bitterness, but there was a little bit of, um, I believe the current chief prosecutor had sort of said, if I'd been running the case back in 1987 or whenever it was, we would have been looking into this guy a lot sooner. And if you recall, part of the problems with the investigation were that the guy who was in charge of it went off on a bunch of tangents, uh, tangents was in, uh, determined to pin it on uh, foreigners, basically, uh, there was something about the gun, as I recall, as well. He was convinced that there's a, the wrong sort of gun had been used, and so they uh, went off in a whole bunch of wrong directions straight away. So there was um, a little bit of blame to go around, but basically they've said, yep, we're, I'm, I'm calling it. Um, this, this case is officially closed. We've got a guy who we think probably did it, but that's the best we can say. And I have to say, I think it's entirely due to this podcast. Well, obviously, if we hadn't brung it up here on our podcast one year Embarrass ago... Embarrass Sweden with our broadcast. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't see there's any uh, any other conclusion we can draw that um, we basically closed this case. Indeed. You're welcome. Indeed we did, with mm. the fact that we hardly even mentioned the person in question in our discussion, because they were kind of a side note in the larger discussion of who killed Olaf Palmer. Mm. And that's all the news we have for you this month of June 2020. Um, now, 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 often, now, yes. What well, often what we say when we get to the episode is like um, after this, the 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 patrons can listen to the bonus episode if they want, or maybe not. Maybe they can listen to it another time. Maybe they listen to it before they listen to the main episode. I don't know. The world's a crazy mixed up place. But um, right now, as we are doing this live on Discord, then patrons are indeed welcome to stick around right now and listen to the bonus episode as it's made. Um, just briefly, we're going to be talking about treasure. Buried treasure, hidden treasure. And treasure hunts. And all treasure the hunts. treasure, and also a numbers puzzle, but that's another matter entirely. So, mm. so we're going to be talking about the discovery of the Fen treasure, 
and one of the conspiracy theories around that, and then using it as a launch board for talking about some other mysterious treasure hunts which have occurred in the past, which also have vaguely conspiratorial overtones. Mm. Um, so, if you are a patron and not listening to this live, listening to it another time, then um, hunt down that bonus episode once you're done listening to this one. If you're not a patron and you'd like to be, uh, you can, and that'd be just super. So you can go to Patreon.com and look up the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy and sign up there. Uh, or you can go to conspiracism.podbean.com where this podcast is hosted and sign up to their native patronage scheme. Um, so to our regular listeners, we say thank you as well for listening to us, because that's nice. Without you, we're kind of just two people talking into microphones when we could be having an ordinary conversation without all of this um, all of this frippery. Uh, but no bonus episode for you. You'll simply have to show up next week when M will say... Murder, she wrote. Mm. And I assume you're also going to say it right now. No, I'm not, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, well, then it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from Joshua. Yes, it is. You've been listening to the podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, starring Josh Addison and Dr. M.R. Extenter, which is written, researched, recorded, and produced by Josh and M. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron via its Podbean or Patreon campaigns. And if you need to get in contact with either Josh or M, you can email them at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com or check their Twitter accounts, Monkey Fluids and Conspiracism. Truth is out there, but not quite where you think you left it. You better put a clap in there so I know to edit it in as well. Oh, actually, that is a good point. Mm. There we go. There you go, people on Discord. That's you're, you're peering behind the curtain there. Claps. It's all about claps. They tell us what to do. Yeah, Josh asks me to give him the clap, and I, I give do, him the clap oh, so, all the time. So often, it's just M. Give me the clap. I need the clap. I need you to give it to me now. I would have thought you'd have you'd have the clap by now, given how much I've given you the clap over the years. I assume I've become immune. Isn't that what happens? Maybe you've become immune from living in Hamilton. Maybe maybe we should do blood tests and find out exactly what's going on here. Anyway, anyway, I'm gonna put another <clears throat> clap in to uh, sort of find a way to kind of keep this clap discussion enclosed in clapping. Hmm.